morning and welcome to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. Well, today we want to talk about and focus in on Passion Week. Passion Week begins Sunday. Uh, In churches across our nation and across the world, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. Some have said that Jesus came into Jerusalem not on Sunday but on Monday, and uh, there can you can definitely make a case for that. But I like to keep it at, at as Palm Sunday, and this Sunday at First Baptist Texarkana, we're going to uh, remember that day, and I'm going to preach on Palm Sunday, the peace of Palm Sunday. Now Jesus, when he comes into the city of Jerusalem. It's, it's the time that he really uh, lets it be known that he is Israel's Messiah. You know, when you read in the Gospels, you find that he would always tell people uh, that recognized who he was and understood and you are the Lord's Messiah. He'd say, now don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. But now he wants everyone to know. And the scripture says, as it records this in the Gospel accounts in Luke, It says this, uh, they bring this colt to Jesus and they say, uh, you know, if anybody asks you why you're taking the colt, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. It's a colt that no one has ever sat. And as he was going, going from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, you descend down the Mount of Olives and then up. Uh, the Mount of Olives is east of the city. And it says, and he, as he was going, they're spreading their garments in the road. They were spreading garments and they were spreading palm branches. That's where we get the name Palm Sunday. And, and palms are important. Palms were used, palm branches were used uh, to worship and to celebrate part of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, that great feast that God had for his people to remember that they were living in temporary shelters when he brought them out of Egypt to come into the Promised Land. They would get palm branches for that. Uh, The Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, in heaven, we have palm branches as we worship and praise the Lord. And so they, they were spreading their garments and they were putting down palm branches as their way of saying, you are our king and we submit to you. And it says this, and as, they, and as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. And Jesus had done a lot of miracles. John said if we wrote about everything that Jesus said and did in his three-and-a-half-year ministry, uh, the world couldn't contain the books which were, would be written. So they were praising God for all the miracles, and they said this, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Do you hear what they're saying about you? They're quoting Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Interesting. That is very, very similar to what the angel said and sang at his birth in Luke chapter 2. Rebuke your disciples. 
the Pharisees said. How, how dare they uh, recognize you as Messiah? We've already said that, uh, that you are the son of uh, Beelzebul. You cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus answered them and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now, there are lots and lots and lots of people lining the roadway as he approached Jerusalem. John MacArthur said uh, there might have been as many as 100,000 to 200,000 people there uh, cheering him and putting down their garments and putting down the palm branches as he came by. This is the triumphal entry. And it says, and when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it. And he said, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. I want you to think about that, the things that make for peace. This is kind of strange because in the midst of all the praise and all the adulation and the quoting of Psalm 118 and the hosannas, Jesus looks over the city and he weeps. Well, it doesn't seem like it's a time for tears. It seems like it's a time of rejoicing. But for him, it was a time of tears because the people, although they outwardly were rejoicing, it wasn't true. It wasn't real in their hearts. How do we know that? Because it's just a few days later that this crowd who is saying, hail him, hail him, will be saying, nail him, nail him, not this man, but Barabbas. What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Pilate asked. Crucify him, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king, but Caesar was the reply. Jesus knew all that was coming, and he wept over the city and said, Oh, if you had known the time of your visitation, if you had known the things which make for peace. I want to ask you a question. Do you understand and do you know the things which make for peace? The people didn't understand that. They didn't know that uh, the things that make for peace. And see, the Bible talks about two kinds of peace. First of all, there's the peace with God. Therefore, James, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We desperately need to have peace with God. Any person, any person who has not come to Christ is not experiencing peace with God. They're at war with God. They're at odds with God. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, For the wrath of God uh, appears from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God has wrath and indignation toward those who reject Christ, toward those who have not yet come to Christ. Uh, he, he's not at peace with them. There's not a relationship there. Uh, there is just a, a distance. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your iniquities have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear, the Scripture says in Isaiah 59. 
So we have a problem. Everybody has a problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And we desperately need to know the things which make for peace. Now, Jesus came. He is our peace. He died on the cross in our place, took all our sins upon himself to make peace through the blood of his cross. And we're justified by faith. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The war is over. We're no longer separated from God. We're no longer giving God the the stiff arm. We're no longer rebelling against him. We have come to him in repentance and faith. If you had known the things which make for peace. Now, repentance and faith are the two things which make for peace. If you don't Uh, If you don't repent, Jesus said two times, Luke chapter 13, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Paul said his ministry, Acts chapter 20, he preached, did not uh, withhold the whole counsel of God. He he preached the whole counsel, and he said, uh, I, I told Jews and Greeks of their desperate need of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. How does a person have peace with God? How does a person get saved? Repentance and faith. You turn from sin, you turn from self, you turn from self-reliance, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 22, the Lord says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. We have to turn to him. We have to put our faith and trust in him. Jesus wept because the city didn't realize that. They didn't recognize that. They didn't turn to him to be saved. There was no peace with God. And because there was no peace with God, there was not the peace of God. That's the second kind of peace. And that's talked about in Philippians chapter 4, when we uh, cast all our anxiety upon him, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hey, peace with God is relationship. And you can have that in Jesus Christ. You can become a child of the King when you embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. Peace, the the peace of God is fellowship. That's when you're right with God. That's not only when Jesus is living in your life, but when he is seated on the throne of your life, when you're yielded to him completely and you're filled with his spirit and controlled by his spirit. Now, one of the things you notice on Palm Sunday, the people were praising the Lord, but here's the thing, it's so much like today. People want Jesus on their terms. They don't want Jesus for who he is. They want to use Jesus, and they want Jesus on their terms. Now, the the people that were lining the roadway, putting down the palm branches, throwing down their coats, hey, you can walk over me, I'm submitting to you. Oh, if that were only true. But it wasn't true. They were just caught up in the messianic fervor of the moment. And they didn't realize the things that make for peace. 
They thought Jesus was going to come in. He is our Messiah, and he is going to overthrow Rome. And we're no longer going to be the tail. We're going to be the head. And Jesus is the miracle worker, and he's going to make uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for us. And the, the good times are going to begin to roll. And we've read about what it was like when Solomon was king and, and how silver was as common as stones. And we're going to have prosperity, and it's just going to be awesome. They wanted Jesus on their terms. That's the way people are today. They want Jesus on their terms. They, they think that Jesus has come to take their side. Newsflash, he hasn't. And we learn about that in Joshua chapter 5. When Joshua was, was getting ready, he was scoping out the city of Jericho, that high-walled city, and he sees this man with his sword, sword drawn. And Joshua doesn't know who this is. And he says to this, this one with his sword drawn, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And that one who was the Lord Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the answer is no. Oh, what kind of an answer is that? It's for us or for them? No, but indeed I come as captain of the host of the Lord. I didn't come to take your side. I came to take over. And Joshua says, what has my Lord to say to his servant? And he said, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. The Lord didn't come to take your side. He didn't come to take my side. He didn't come to take our side. He came to take over. And when you receive Christ, when it's genuine and true, you're not receiving him on your terms. You're receiving him on his terms. Remember this, God isn't playing, let's make a deal. He says, this is the deal. And if you'll come to me in brokenness, in humility, in repentance, in true faith, and put your faith and trust in me and in me alone, then you can experience the peace of God and peace with God. You can have a genuine relationship with Jesus that will change your life. And sadly, the people missed it on Palm Sunday. They didn't understand what Jesus' mission was. They didn't understand that he didn't come to take their side. He came to take over. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. And then joining me on the broadcast will be Dr. Tom Askell as we talk about the situations taking place in our country. Don't go away. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes 
Very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment. For those who resist that trend, Friends of Israel shows listeners why loving the Jewish people and supporting Israel is important to the Christian faith. Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. You'll hear people in the news, pundits, thinkers, people that will make you really consider the issues from a different perspective. Sandy Rios in the morning. You can also expect some really great talk. We will disagree, we will argue, and we will come to some sort of a conclusion, but all of it sort of pointing toward what God's view of the news is. Start your day informed with Sandy Rios in the morning, weekdays at 7 Central on American Family Radio. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. Gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. Welcome back to Real Truth for today. We're talking about the things which make for peace. That's what Jesus said when he entered into the city on Palm Sunday. They didn't know the things which make for peace. Well, my guest uh, in this segment is Dr. Tom Askell. Dr. Tom Askell is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. He's been there uh, this June. It will be 36 years. He's the president of Founders Ministry, and he is a candidate for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for being with us today. Jeff, thank you for having me on your show. I'm really appreciative of it. Well, I appreciate you, my brother, and uh, I woke up this morning and I saw a tweet that you had uh, posted on Twitter, and uh, it was from a, um, a tweet that you had seen from the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the, uh, an arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they were uh, excited and appreciative of Judge uh, Jackson's confirmation and the history making of it and uh, they said if we lose the ability to to appreciate the moment we lose something that makes America an exceptional nation uh, you took issue with that and uh, Tom I want to know why yeah well because <laughs> it, it reflects so much that's wrong in American Christianity today and especially in the Southern Baptist Convention where moral judgments are being weighed through the lens of political correctness 
And so what Mr. Leatherwood seems to be measuring is the fact that we have a black woman who's been appointed, that's historic, and that that triumphs over everything, that we ought to, to in some way appreciate that, even though this jurist is uh, on record multiple times of merely slapping the wrist of child rapists, child pornographers, even arguing, giving rationale for why lesser uh, uh, judgments and penalties should be handled, handed down to modern-day pedophiles versus 50 years ago, because today it's so much easier to access child pornography on the Internet than it was then. Uh, we've lost our moral reasoning. It, it, it grieves me because this is the man who's now in the interim capacity of leading the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Commission, being paid by Southern Baptist Church's contributions. And this moral reasoning, I think, has far more in common with the godless ideologies of this world and the secularism and paganism of our society than it does with the Word of God. I just, I try to imagine what John the Baptist would have said to this. <laughs> um, can, you, can you think uh, of that? I mean, John the Baptist looked at Herod and said, it is unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. And it's like we think, oh, John, John, the tone, the tone. You know, don't you realize that you don't, you don't make friends by speaking that plainly? And I, I'm grieved, brother. I, I mean, I woke up this morning, my spirit was troubled because uh, I saw that just before I went to bed last night. And it's a commentary on how bad things are, why, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, we must change the direction because we are headed toward a cliff if we fall over it, I, I don't think there will be any recovery. Well, when I saw it, I was grieved too, Tom, and I was shocked that we would have a, a, one of our institutions that would be celebrating this. Um, you know, I still, I'm old school. I believe in the dream of Martin Luther King. We don't judge people on the color of their skin, but the content of their character, or that's the way it should be. Uh, right. The content of her character is not good, and it's definitely not something right. to celebrate. Um, Tom, let's talk about this, because we see a lot of uh, hashtag change the direction. Um, mm. There's a lot in that little three-word hashtag. Explain what that means. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the the tweet, this comment, public comment, is just illustrative of so much that's wrong in our moral reasoning and our lack of fearing God in our letting uh, the, the politics of the day trump any biblical conviction. I mean, we, we saw the same thing from Dan Darling, who is at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the, one of the chief ethicists there, teaches a course on cultural engagement, in which he says, yes, you know, we, we need to acknowledge this. I disagree with that, but this is a historic moment. And then he goes on to talk about how uh, genuine advocacy uh, is something that is best done more by, you know, kind of persuasive diplomacy than plain spokenness. Well, it, this is the direction we're going. And, and I'm not talking personally about any of these people and leaving their judgment before God to, to him, but it's their leadership. It's their moral reasoning that has been so infiltrated by godlessness that I don't think they realize it. And we're being moved rapidly down this stream 
that we must stop. We must change. And if, if we don't, uh, I, I, God is God. He can raise the dead. But I believe he's given us a stewardship right now to wake up and recognize that we are not being well-led as a denomination. And the churches who pay the salaries of these leaders and who have built and financed and pray for the institutions that they serve in, we need to hold them accountable. I, I, I plead with pastors and Southern Baptist churches, wake up, examine what's going on, and come to Anaheim in June, and, and let's vote to change the direction. Amen. We desperately need to do that. Tom, I had a pastor friend of mine, a good friend who's strongly conservative. He was asking me about the Conservative Baptist Network. He was asking me about you, and and he knows that I'm not uh, a five-point Calvinist and and that we would have differences there. But he said, why, why are you supporting Tom Askell? And I, I told him, and then uh, he said, well, I, I'm really— um, I'm really thinking about getting involved because he said, I don't think pastors can sit this one out. Uh, I thought there was a lot in that statement. Why can't pastors sit this one out? Amen. 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 Well, look, I mean, I'm a pastor. I've got a normative Southern Baptist church. I got a full plate dealing with the congregation right here and trying to make the gospel known in Southwest Florida. That's true of every pastor. I don't care if he's bivocational, trivocational, every pastor cares primarily for the flock over which the Lord has given us responsibility. However, we have chosen as a church, and all Southern Baptist churches have chosen to cooperate together in a common cause, that, to do things together that we cannot do more effectively alone. And if we're going to cooperate in this convention of churches, we have a stewardship for that convention. And so though none of us may have time, and all of us may have more important things to do, we cannot sit it out. If we're going to sit it out, then we ought to just leave the convention uh, and just let it go, because it is being led in a bad direction. And if regular pastors of regular churches are not going to wake up and stand up and show up and speak up in Anaheim, then what good does it do us to belong to an association where we say, let's cooperate together on the things which we can agree on? Uh, I, I think our stewardship of all that God has invested in the SBC over now decades and decades is worth us taking count of and uh, uniting together to say, no, 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 let's stop this bad dr drift and humble ourselves before God, plead with him, and return to a fear of the living God and a willingness to stand against the onslaught of the devil and all of his minions that has marshaled cultural forces that are now coming in like a flood into uh, Christianity, not just in America, but throughout the world. Tom, uh, you have talked about uh, on social media, especially the, the difference because sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention is a very, very hot topic and it's being uh, investigated in lawsuits, all the stuff that's going on with that. You had talked about we need to remember the difference between crimes and sins. Uh, explain that to me. What do you mean by that? Yeah, oh, I think we, we have mishandled not just sexual abuse, but other things in our churches, uh, sadly, because we've not recognized carefully enough those distinctions. A church should not try to adjudicate crimes. 
whenever a crime is committed, we need to go to the civil authority that God has ordained to deal with crimes. He's given the magistrate the sword in order to punish evildoers. That's Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. And we should acknowledge that God has given that sphere authority to deal with crimes. And so churches, pastors, shouldn't say, oh, man, we've got a rapist here. Well, let's just deal with this internally. No. We tell our people all the time at Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, if someone commits a crime, call the police. If you're being abused, call the police. If you see abuse, call the police. Then call the leaders. But on the other hand, sins are not to be adjudicated by the civil magistrate. And we've had some people recently say, because many Christian leaders have not handled uh, sex abuse very well, we need to acknowledge that. They say, well, you don't know how to handle sins, and so you need outside experts. You need the state to come in and tell you what you must do. No, God has given us a book, and that book tells us how we are to respond to crimes by calling the police, and how we are to respond to sins by doing what we've pledged to do whenever we join healthy churches that take God's Word seriously, where we say to one another, we will help you in your discipleship, we'll watch over you, and if you go wayward, we will come after you. And if you do not repent, then we will deliver you over to the devil in hopes that your spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. That's what Matthew 18 says. That's what First Corinthians 5 says. But the church has that authority. We have the sword of the spirit. And so I think if we can get those categories clear in our mind, we're not going to look to the magistrate to come in and help us deal with sin, but neither are we going to try to deal with crimes in the church. We're going to ask those authorities that God has ordained in the civil arena to deal with crimes and the authority that he has given to the church to deal with sin. Tom, recently, uh, Willie Rice, who was a candidate for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention, he, he just, in the last few days, bowed out. And uh, as I was reading the story, I don't know if I have all the particulars, but uh, he was taking a lot of heat for a deacon in his church, someone he had ordained as a deacon that had some sexual uh, issues in his past with a with a student, not necessarily a minor, because I believe she was 18 years old. But can you explain that situation and why, from your understanding, did that uh, make it untenable for him to continue as a candidate? Well, um, you know, Willie has has gone on record saying that he agrees with. Uh, what has been said popularly, and I think even in a resolution last year, that, you know, once you have committed certain sins, you're forever forbidden from certain uh, opportunities in the kingdom of God. And so he's advocated that, one of which was that um, those guilty of, of sexual sin or sexual crimes, sexual abuse, then they're forever uh, restricted from any kind of leadership in the church. And I recognize that as a viable biblical position that someone could argue. And that's what he argued. And then he, he was found out to have done the very thing which he had argued against. And so he was in a position where he really didn't have any alternative. And let me just be very clear in saying this. Any man who would spend months grooming a minor in order to have... Uh, adulterous relationships with her later on, uh, that man is indeed a sexual predator. 
And that's just true across the board. That's true principally. It's true way beyond the specifics of this situation. So we need to acknowledge that people, there are sexual groomers, there are sexual predators. Disney has just demonstrated they're filled with them at the highest levels of their executive offices. They are grooming our children. And we need to acknowledge that. And again, as God's people say, we will not tolerate that. We will stand against it. We won't allow it in our ranks. And where we see the world coming for our children like that, we're not going to bury our head in the sand. Well, and it seems to me, too, Tom, that we've almost turned this into the unpardonable sin. And no doubt it is a Mm -hmm. terrible, horrible sin. But the blood of Jesus, God's Son, can cleanse the vilest offender who truly believes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you see it as this has become the unpardonable sin? No, I don't think it's the unpardonable sin at all. I do think it's so serious that it has to be weighed seriously by churches. And so every church in every situation has to deal with it under the the authority of God's Word and the power of His Spirit. And so I'm not prepared to stand in judgment on any church that's dealing with particulars that are not going to be known, should not be known to the public, and how they navigate those waters. But to just throw a blanket over it and say, hey, you know, he was a sexual predator 10 years ago, but, you know, that's all right, such a good guy, we're just going to let it go. That is foolhardy. But similarly, it's foolhardy to say, and it goes to your point, well, he was a sexual predator uh, 20 years ago, and so he, he's always going to be a sexual predator, and he can never be useful in God's kingdom. Aren't you glad that God didn't do that with a murderer named Paul? <laughs> yes, or Moses. Amen. That's, ex- that's exactly right. So, yeah, I would agree with you totally that uh, those are serious, serious issues. And they, uh, if that man that did that in Willie Rice's church was an unbeliever when he did it and he came to Christ— uh, I, did, I believe that the blood of Jesus, God's Son, can cleanse him from that, that he can still be useful in God's kingdom. And and we can be disqualified from certain positions due to sure. sinful choices, but uh, sure. there, there's only one unpardonable sin, and that's the rejection of Jesus Christ. So, Tom, thank you so much for coming on today, and I appreciate your heart. I appreciate your uh, your fight. And uh, you are a warrior for Christ, and you want to be a good soldier. I know that. Uh, any, any last yes. words? We have about 45 seconds. Yes, Jeff, thank you so much. I, I just, again, want to plead with my Southern Baptist brothers and sisters. We must wake up and just examine what's going on, please. I mean, I, so many of you are busy doing the Lord's work in your local place of, of residence. That's right. But wake up and look at what's happening. We have a stewardship of the institutions and entities of the SBC. And let's stand up and speak up and go to Anaheim and change the direction. Amen. That's Dr. Tom Askell. He's running for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're going to take a quick break, and I'll be taking your calls. Don't go away. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. 
I'm a homeschooling mom of four, and all of us listen regularly to American Family because we are an American family. Twice a year for three days at a time, we pause to celebrate how God is using American Family Radio to impact lives. We call it share and it's an opportunity for you to help us continue to make a difference. I just wanted to say thanks for all you do every day. Join us April 19th through the 21st here on listener-supported American Family Radio. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden of the Association of Independent Methodists. Adrian Rogers said, Noah entered the ark a minority and came out a majority. It seems that to follow Christ anywhere in the world puts you in a minority. Simple truths like God created us as either male or female at conception and that marriage is between a natural born male and female puts you in the minority. Add to that that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that all must be born again and trust Jesus Christ as Savior in order to have eternal life puts you squarely in the minority. A millisecond after death or the second coming of Christ, you'll be in the majority. So stay true to the Son of God. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. Oops, there's a piece I missed a little bit. Grandpa, why do we always pick up litter when we go hiking? Well, we're just making it nicer for people who come after us a little bit. It's called stewardship. My grandfather taught me that you should always leave a place better than you found it that it's important to invest in the lives of your children and grandchildren, leaving them with a godly legacy they can build on. That's why I decided to set up a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. It's called stewardship. I know that my gift will support a ministry that honors the biblical principles I hold dear, and it's a way to invest in the future of our country. The AFA Foundation also arranged for me to have a steady fixed income so I don't have to worry in the midst of changing times. Call the AFA Foundation today to find out how you can set up a charitable gift annuity. Just call 800-326-4543, extension 345. Welcome back to the program, Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. We just had a great conversation with Dr. Tom Askell. Dr. Tom has a burden for the Southern Baptist Convention and the direction that the convention is going in, a convention of 14,000 members, 47,000 churches. It really is an important issue for Christians in America. Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention has six seminaries around the country, and although the, the seminaries are Southern Baptist, we train about a third of the pastors that go out to churches in America, and we train many, many missionaries. So training them in the truth and not deviating even one degree from the truth is critical. So I appreciate uh, Dr. Askell as he desires to uh, change the direction and make sure that the Southern Baptist Convention and the seminaries and every entity is solidly moving in the direction and uh, the, the way the Lord wants us to move. Well, we were talking about peace and how to have peace, the peace of God, the peace with God. Jesus uh, said on his triumphal entry, if you had only known 
even you, the things which make for peace. I would love to take your calls in this segment. The number to call is 1-888-589-8840. That's 1-888-589-8840. And uh, if you have a question, something on your mind, uh, let's talk about it. I am excited about um, this week as we begin on Sunday, Palm Sunday, and go through the week remembering uh, this is the last week of the Lord's uh, life before he goes to the cross. And uh, we call the Friday when he was crucified. Harold Honer says he was crucified on April 3rd, uh, 33 AD. That's what he, uh, as a scholar, when he looks at all the evidence, says that's when when Jesus went to the cross, and uh, we know that Good Friday wasn't called Good Friday by those guys. It was called uh, Bad Friday, Terrible Friday, and um, but we know it looking back as Good Friday because Resurrection Sunday changed everything. So we have uh, our first caller, Troy from Texas. Troy, welcome to Real Truth for today. All right, we are getting Troy on the line, and... Uh, we're looking forward to talking to him to see what is on his mind. But Good Friday is Good Friday as we look back because of Resurrection Sunday that changed everything. And all of a sudden, the cross becomes uh, that instrument of death, that instrument of horror, that instrument of, of shattered dreams becomes our instrument of salvation when coupled with the empty tomb. And so this is a, a big, big week for churches. It's, a, uh, it's an exciting time for believers. And I always look forward to the Good Friday service. We, we at First Baptist Texarkana, we have um, uh, our Lord's Supper service on Good Friday, and we remember what he did for us, the price that was paid to purchase our salvation. Well, we have Troy on the line from Texas. He is ready now. Troy, welcome to Real Truth for today. Hello, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Well, absolutely fantastic. And I want to say thank you for what you do. You, uh, you bring a, a great light into my life daily. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Well, I my question is uh, been, been on weighing heavy on my heart. I uh, am a Lutheran, and in the Lutheran Church, they're going through the, the schools, the seminary schools, becoming fathers. They uh, they've been allowing men and women that are uh, and I don't know the, the correct way of putting it, gays and lesbians to become pastors over at the, the church. And I'm having a hard time with that because my children were going to the church and they're indoctrinating this normalcy. And I just, uh, it's weighing real heavy on me that I'm having a hard time going and I'm having a hard time, I guess, right? What I'm saying is putting up with it. Uh, I don't, I don't feel it's, it's right, and what that, what that example is setting towards my family, uh, and the children are young enough to understand they're seen in school, so it's becoming too normalized, and, and so I really just want to know what you think about it. Uh, 
Yes, I appreciate that question, Troy. I can uh, understand your consternation with that. Uh, Let me just say, I personally couldn't stay in a church that was um, condoning that or, or promoting that as you see in in uh, in many many churches in many denominations uh, once you depart from scripture i mean the bible is so clear i had mentioned this to our staff the other day the uh, actor ian mckellen who played in uh and lord of the rings and and uh the uh what is that other series that has the people with superpowers um but he, he's a homosexual, and he said when he stays at, at hotels that he, uh, he rips out passages from the Bible in Leviticus that condemn homosexuality. And uh, I, I heard him say that, and I said to myself, well, I respect the guy for at least being honest enough to acknowledge that the Bible condemns what he's doing. The Bible condemns homosexuality. We have people today, Matthew Vines, who tries to work and say, no, 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 the scripture promotes homosexuality. It it condones homosexuality. It presents homosexuality in a good light, not in a bad light. And that is just a bold-faced lie. Now, the Bible condemns homosexuality. Adrian Rogers said in a sermon one time, if you want to know what God thinks about homosexuality, go to the smoking ruins of Sodom and see for yourself. Uh, he's made them an example to those who would live godly, ungodly thereafter, Second Peter chapter 2. And so with that being celebrated in your church, Troy, I would... Uh, I would encourage you to uh, really spend some time in prayer and just ask the Lord, what do I do? Because I personally couldn't stay at a place like that. I couldn't support a place like that. And I definitely would not my, want my children to be subjected to any of, any of those things. So that would be my comment on that. And I appreciate your uh, encouraging words to me. Well, we have Jim from Texas. Jim, welcome to Real Truth for today. You're on the program. Hello. Hello. Go ahead, Jim. Um, I've got a, well, I've got a question, or maybe you can make a comment. Uh, The church I go to, they recently voted to change the name of the church so that it does not include the word Baptist in the new name of the church. Presumably, from what I understand, is their logic is Baptist is formal and puts people off and has a negative uh, connotation. And so they've decided to change the name of the church, and it's not going to have the word Baptist in it, but they say it's going to be a Baptist church with Baptist principles and that type thing. And uh, I was just, uh, what gets you to comment on that? Yes. I uh, appreciate the question, Jim. Lots of churches have done that, and they they have as their rationale. We don't want it to be uh, off-putting to a person that would say, "I'm looking for a church," but uh, we know, uh, you know, I've been hearing a lot of 
fighting among those that are Baptist, and so I don't want to go there. Or, or you might have somebody that is a Catholic background. I grew up Catholic, and sometimes people that have a, a background, they would say, well, I, I'm not going to go to a Baptist church because I'm not a Baptist, but I might go to a community church. And so I understand where guys want to take that out just so it would remove any barrier. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Um, I don't want to do a bait and switch either. So uh, I, I pastor First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas. Our church is 140 years old. Uh, we're not changing the name. We are who we are. But at the same time, I have a ministry called From His Heart Ministries, and I don't have anything about Baptist in there because I don't want uh, somebody to say, well, that that's not for me because I'm not Baptist. I'm Catholic. I'm Methodist. I'm this. I'm that or the other. So I can understand people doing that. I think that uh, the, the key question is, is the church standing strong on the scripture? Are they holding up the truth? The, the one danger, Jim, would be that they, they begin to uh, want so desperately to reach the world that they become more and more like the world, and, and we, we definitely cannot do that. The Lord says, 2 Corinthians 6, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and we are to be distinct and separate and present to the, to the world, hey, this is, uh, this is what Christianity is. It, it flies in the face of culture. We are twice-born men living in a world of once-born men, and the gospel is totally different than anything that people experience in the world, and Jesus is against the world. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we, um, we travel a different course than this world does, and we need to make that clear to people. So I appreciate that, that question, Jim. Thanks for coming on the program today. Well, we have Will from Georgia. Will, welcome to Real Truth for today. Will, are you there? Uh, yes. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, we uh, we all miss Dan, but I appreciate you taking taking this on. Thank you. Um, so my question is, as far as uh, regarding Tom Askell, if uh, if he is a Calvinist. Um, then why would we want him leading the Southern Baptist Convention? Yes, great question, Will. Uh, Tom is a Calvinist, and I'm not a Calvinist, but here is what um, here's what I love about Tom Askell. He believes that a person is saved through repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he stands firm in the Word of God. He recognizes there is a uh, a liberal drift, a leftward drift in the Southern Baptist Convention that that desperately needs to be addressed. Uh, it doesn't need to just be uh, winked at like, oh, there's no big deal. It's just a little bit of of error, a little bit of of um, you know. Um, untruths taking place here or a little bit of of compromise he recognizes that is uh, a step off the cliff and we can't go there that's a slippery slope we can't go there and so even though he and i would disagree about limited atonement and uh, unconditional election and irresistible grace we can agree on uh, 
the fact that the Bible is true and Jesus Christ is Lord and no one comes to the Father except through him and we need to teach the truth of Scripture. You know, there are spine issues and there are rib issues in the Christian life and in the Christian doctrine. And we can view passages of Scripture differently, and uh, that is good and fine, provided those are rib issues and not spine issues. You know, you can you can lose a rib, as Adam did. You can't lose your spine, and if you lose your spine, you, you're not going to be able to live anymore. And so we have to be able to distinguish between the, tr- the two. And so my differences with him would be, rib issues, not spine issues, and therefore I can support him for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention. Thank you so much for that call, Will. I appreciate that. We have Paula from Oklahoma on the line. Paula, welcome to Real Truth for today. Hello? Hello, Paula, go ahead. Hi. um, um, I just came to Saving Faith about 12 years ago, I'm about 58, and I lived a homosexual lifestyle, and I have no family, no kids. Well, I have family, but just trying to get and find a church is very difficult these days, and especially with everything that's going on in um, the churches. Um, And I'm feeling very convicted that I'm not, you know, in fellowship. I'm, I'm up every morning studying my Bible at 3:30, and I mean, I read John MacArthur, and just, and just like you were talking about the Founders Ministry of Tom Askell, and also Brother Paul Walsher and Bodie Bauckham, and so I mean, I'm just having a really hard time of fitting in at a church because yes. I'm very big on staying in the right lane and i can't you know there just seems to be the lines are so blurred at so many churches and i don't want to come in and just say oh i mean almost every church i visited they they are having women teachers you know and these teachers aren't even biblical yes the great point and uh paula thank you so much for calling in and i rejoice at your salvation and uh, what a testimony. Um, if you will go online, fbctexarkana.org, uh, and contact me at the church, I would love to try and help you find a good place there in Oklahoma. I know that God wants you to be a part of a church, and he has a place for you that will help you grow and give you fellowship. You have a great testimony to share that can help lots of people. Well, thanks so much for being with us today on Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, and I look forward to being with you on Monday as we talk to Dr. Ricky Shalette about the issue of homosexuality and transgenderism. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Fiation or American.